Thank you, team. How about you? God is moving in this place this morning. If this is your first time here, just to let you know, we do some singing and we worship the Lord and we lift our hearts and our hands to him. It's a time for us to just, I think for me, especially some days this morning even, reorient our hearts to who he is and who we are in him. You often will see me lifting my hands to the Lord. Why do I do that? It's just simple. Every time my little girls ran up and needed picked up by their daddy, you know what they did? This. Sometimes I just need picked up by my daddy. And lift my hands up to him and praise him. He is here this morning. And it is so good to be with you all. And uh, that was good. That was good. He is in this place. If this is your first time, we're in a series called The Unexplainables kind of piggybacking off of uh, the Incredibles movie that's out this summer. And the idea is, you know, the Incredibles is about a family who has superpowers. They're superheroes, and they do things in the world for good. And uh, most of us aren't superheroes. No one's come up to me during this series to tell me about any superpower that they have. So we're probably not the Incredibles. Somebody did mention maybe I'm Mr. Incredible this morning, which I just wanted to make sure I made that public. I'm not. But, uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, you know, we are called to something else, and that's to be the unexplainables. And what that means, what that means through this series is that we're, co- we're called to live a life in the power of God that apart from Jesus Christ, apart from people knowing we know Jesus, apart from us even knowing that Christ himself lives in us. Our behavior, our love, our servanthood into the world, the way we love the world, the way we serve the world would be unexplainable. But that's what God has called us to do and how God has called us to live. And we're looking at a letter from the Apostle John to the church telling them how to live their life for Jesus and how to be one of these unexplainables. And the big idea that we've been talking about throughout this entire series is this statement right here, that the supernatural power of God is truly unexplainable. It blows people's minds. They can't understand why we are the way we are, how we are the way we are. They see God move in our lives. They see God move when, when, when believers enter the space and the places There's people I know, I can even, as I was sharing about Five Stones, I've met people through that ministry already that cannot believe why. Why do you do the things you do? Why are you serving us? A lot of them have felt, you know, a lot of times we interact with people that say, have you ever heard this word? Oh, God could never love me. Have you ever heard somebody say, oh, I could never go to church? Ever invite somebody to church and they say, I would burn up if I walked in that place? Because that's who they think God is. But then they meet you and they they experience something that's truly unexplainable. And the reason is it's because it's not only unexplainable, but it's livable. It's livable. And as a church, we want to dig into his word and find out how do we live this out? How do we truly become like Jesus? And so we're looking at this letter from Grandpa John. John was an apostle of of Jesus. He he followed Jesus around. He was his beloved friend, and he followed him for three years. And towards the end of his life, we believe he wrote this letter. He's an old man at this time. He's he's walked with Jesus, and he's led the church for many years, and he has a ton of wisdom in just this short letter to the church to share with us about how it is to be unexplainable and live the unexplainable life. And so today we're going to be in 1 John. 1 John 2, 18 to 27. 1 John 2, 18 to 27. I want to read that. So if you have your scripture, I invite you to turn there this morning. 
1 John 2, 18 to 27, and we will look at these words and see what God wants to teach us and talk about them a little bit and find out how we are to live this today. 1 John chapter 2, verse 18. Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard the, that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. You already got to be excited for this, right? We're talking about the Antichrist this morning. I know I am. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it may become plain that they were not, they were, they all are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you have all knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of truth. Who is the liar? But he who denies Jesus is the Christ. This is the Antichrist. He he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father, and whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that it was made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you that those who are trying to deceive you, but the anointing that you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you, you have about everything, and is true and is no lie, just that it has taught you abide in him. Pray with me this morning. Father, we just ask this, this time, these moments we have together, before we leave for another week, that your, your spirit would speak to our hearts and lives, that, Lord, we know you're here in this place, and I just ask that the words that you've given me would not fall on deaf ears, that you wouldn't allow distractions to take away what you want to do in each and every life in this room. Lord, allow us to be so changed, so transformed, that our being here today makes a difference. That Sunday informs Monday and the rest of the week, Lord. Continue to use us to bring glory to your name, even now, Lord. And use me to bring the word clearly. I can't do it on my own. I need you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. secret is safe with us. My name is Mirage. We have something in common. According to the government, neither of us exist. Please pay attention as this message is classified and will not be repeated. 
I represent a top-secret division of the government designing and testing experimental technology, and we have a need of your unique abilities. Something has happened at a remote testing facility. Money! Huh? What? Dinner's ready. Okay. Although it is contained within an isolated area, it threatens to cause incalculable damage to itself and to our facilities, jeopardizing hundreds of millions of dollars worth of equipment it's and research. Is someone in there? It's a TV, trying to watch. Because of its highly sensitive nature. Well, stop crying. It's time for dinner. One minute. If you accept, your payment will be triple your current annual salary. Call the number on the card. Voice matching will be used to ensure security. The supers aren't gone, Mr. Incredible. You're still here. You can still do great things. Or you can listen to police scanners. Your choice. You have 24 hours to respond. Think about it. So in the plot of The Incredibles, Mr. Incredible gets an iPad message. And it turns out, as if you've never seen it, I'm sorry, if you haven't figured out yet, I'm spoiling the movie for you through the series. And it turns out that this message is deceitful. It's a deceitful message, but the fact is that it appeals to a place in him that he really wants to believe it. Because he's in hiding. We've talked about this before. They're in hiding. The superheroes are in hiding. But here's an opportunity for him to make a difference again. Here's an opportunity for him to live the life he wants to live as a superhero again. And, and, and they play upon that in, his, in this message. And they give him a message that's deceitful. And the fact is the message actually allows him to move into a place where he starts to live like a superhero again. He starts working out again. He starts doing superhero work again. He hides that from his wife. He doesn't tell his wife. And eventually ends up being captured, and we saw that scene a few, a few weeks ago. He ends up being captured because of it, because he's, he's allowing this message to change him. And it was a message he wanted to get. And why is this important to our passage today? It's because messages can do some powerful things. The messages we get, and honestly, I think as great it's an iPad, because that's where a lot of the messages we receive each week are from. But the messages we get each and every day can do two things. They can both inform us, but they can form us as well. The messages we receive both inform us and they form us. For Mr. Incredible, it informed him of this problem, but then it formed him. He actually changed the trajectory of his life based upon this message to his own ruin. And if it shouldn't be news to any of us each and every day that the messages we receive can do this. And so we need to watch out for the messages that we receive. We need to watch out for the messages we listen to. I learned this the hard way when I was a kid, to be honest. I got home from school one day, and I walked into uh, the house, and I looked over to the dining room table, and there was my cassette tape collection. Now, for those of you that don't know, there used to be these plastic things, and they were called cassette tapes. It was before CDs, and you had to listen to the whole thing practically anyway. Um, some of you know what they are. So there was my cassette tape collection on the dining room table. Now, what you need to know about me is my cassette tape collection was not Christian music. It was rock and roll music. And I thought, hmm, that's a little strange. And that feeling you get when you just know you're in trouble started, you know, welling up inside of me, and I walk into the living room, and there's my dad, and I sat down, and I didn't say anything because, you know, 
I didn't even want to bring it up. I was hoping it was an illusion. And, and Dad, said, uh, Dad said, you know, your mother was uh, getting your laundry out of your room today. And she saw one of your, your uh, cassette tapes on your boombox. Well, I'm really dating myself for some of you this morning. <laughs> and and, uh, and others of you are like, you're so young. It's not a record player. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and she said, and, and so your mom started to read the lyrics to some of the music you've been listening to. And then she started going into the rest of your cassette tapes, and she started reading those lyrics. And we've decided you're not going to have those anymore. Now, some of you may think my parents were very, very strict, and that's I, certainly how I felt in that moment. But where, where my, the value that my parents were bringing at that moment was they knew this. They knew the messages that we received both informed us and formed us. And they did not want at that time in my life me to hear things. And I'll be honest with you, most of the lyrics probably weren't, you know, exalting Christ as Lord of my life. They had many other things that were exalted in them. That's all I'll say about that. But, you know, they didn't want me to receive those messages and be the things that I primarily listened to because they knew that that could seriously change who I was and change the value system that I had. That's what my mom and dad did. You know, when I finally turned 18, my dad gave me back all of the cassettes and he said, listen, if uh, you want to listen to this trash now, you're an adult, you can make the decision for yourself. And I said, no, you, you can keep them, Dad, because I already bought all the CDs. <laughs> but <laughs> anyway, I'm, I was a work in progress. I still am. But, you know, the, the messages we receive, they're really important. I mean, take a look at this. Just the messages you and I receive each and every week. This is crazy to me. Some research I did this week. I'm going to step over here so I can read this to you. Um, one email from the New York Times, one of the emails you can sign up with that gives you the weekly news, has more information than the average person in the 17th century was likely to encounter in a lifetime. Let that sink in. There's 7.3 million new pages added to the World Wide Web daily. 840 new users on social media each minute. 455,000 tweets per minute. Some of you are like, I don't even know what this stuff is, but some of you do. YouTubers are watching 4,146,600 videos every minute. That's crazy. Instagram users upload 46,740 million posts every minute. Facebook users click and like the like button more than 4 million posts every minute. Over 3 million Google searches are conducted worldwide each minute. Over 15 million text messages are sent every minute. And that's not even counting advertising. That's not even counting the radio. That's not even counting what you're watching on television, what you're talking about on Netflix. That's the messages that are coming into you every single minute of every day. And I believe the truth can, is this, that all of those messages can either both inform you, but they also form you. And in our passage today, John gives a warning about these messages. In fact, he gives a warning about specific messengers and their message that they were giving to the church. And I think it's important for us, as it was then, for us to hear it today. And I believe this message is still very relevant. So let's take a look at what John was writing. First of all, John was writing this to this church. He said, children, it's the last hour. 
What does he mean by the last hour? The last hour is this end time, the the time between the ascension of Christ and his return. And the the early church, and we still believe that the world is slowly unfolding until a crisis is reached, and then the age is ended and a new age will come, and and we are in the last hour is what John is saying. And he's saying, this is the proof that you've heard that the Antichrist is coming. Now, the Antichrist, and this is a whole different message for another time, the Antichrist is this mighty evil figure who will appear at the end of time. Paul in 2 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians excuse me, um, calls him the man of lawlessness, this, this uh, Antichrist, and, and he will be this mighty figure, and he will draw people away from Christ and to himself. And uh, the Antichrist, but he says not only... It, Will he come, which is a sign of that, but now there are many antichrists have come, and therefore we know it's the last hour. What does this word antichrist mean? It literally means against Christ or in the place of Christ. So John's saying, it's the last hour, and there are these people that are bringing a message that's against Christ or that are trying to give a message that replaces Christ in the place of him. And John notes several important truths about who these people are in this church that he's writing to. The first thing he says is this. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become complained to us that they are not that they are all not of us. So what is John saying? He said, the first thing is they left the body. They're no longer part of the church. These people that he's talking about, these, these messengers that brought this message against Christ, they left the church, and they probably took people with them. This went out, kind of makes us think of, you know, Judas. You know, this, there's, a, there's a, something underneath there. There's a betrayal involved. They were, they were probably uh, denying the faith of Christ, and they were trying to take people with them. They were separating themselves from the body, separating themselves from God's grace, and, and they went out away from them. And the second thing he talks about is they have this, they have this heretical teaching. Okay? And how do we know this? Let's look at what he said first. He said, but you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you have all knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Now, this verse on itself is in plain, as we see it on the screen here, doesn't really talk about what's going on behind the scenes. And I'll explain what what John's saying here in, in a minute, but here's the thing. This superior knowledge that we believe that was going on, what these antichrists were saying, was something very similar to ancient Gnosticism. Now, Gnosticism probably in its, in its uh, own self didn't come for a century later, but, but Gnosticism was this belief, this pursuit of knowledge, and that knowledge was the, the, was the special pursuit, and that if you were a follower of Christ, it wasn't, and listen, this is still happening today, that's why I said it's relevant, and following Christ isn't everything, faith in Christ isn't enough, there's a special knowledge, or there's a higher knowledge that brings more revelation to you about how the world works, how things go, and these Gnostics would actually have this special ritual where they would anoint each other. And this anointing would be this special kind of closed group anointing, and this anointing would give them more knowledge than everyone else. There was one sect of the Gnostics called the Nicenes, and they, we have a writing from them, a real writing from them from the first or second century that says this, we alone of all men are Christians. Basically saying, you know, there's a lot of Christians, but we are, we're the, we're the super Christians. You know why? Because we've completed the mystery at the third portal and are anointed there with the speechless chrism. Now, if I heard that, I would have ran away. 
right? I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> but the, what they're saying is, we, we have this higher knowledge because we've received this special chrism, which is a word for anointing, all right? We have this special knowledge, and, and John is saying, now we could go back to the passage, John's saying, you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you have all knowledge, these false teachers are trying to teach something else, but you've been anointed by something else. And the anointing he's talking about here is the Holy Spirit. He's saying, some of you have been swayed by these people that have a message that is taking people away from Christ, that is anti-Christ and his teachings, that's trying to replace Christ in your lives. But you have anointing from the Holy One, from Jesus himself. And that gives you all knowledge. Not a special knowledge, not a higher knowledge. You have all truth from him. I write to you not because you don't know the truth, but because you know it. And because no lie is of truth. You have the truth. You have this. And we know that these antichrists were taking people away. They were claiming this heretic teaching. And you know what else they were doing? They were, they were through a seductive and deceptive words denying Christ. This is what John is saying here. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father. Their message was deceptive. They were denying the Christ. And you know, many scholars believe they weren't directly opposing Jesus. They weren't directly saying, you know, he, who, who he was, but this is what they were to say. They were redefining and reimagining him. And this is happening today. They were saying, you know what, Jesus was a good guy, but he wasn't God. He was a good teacher, but he wasn't the teacher. He was a son of God, like, like many Jews could be, sons and daughters of Abraham, sons of God. He was a son of God, like you and I are, if we have faith in Christ. You know, but he wasn't the son of God. Yeah, he was a martyr on the cross for his faith, but he wasn't the savior. They were doing these small things to downplay who Jesus was, to say that he wasn't the son of God and he wasn't one with the father. They were kind of shifting people that way. And listen, folks, this is a very difficult passage because this stuff is, you know, was so far removed from this and John's writing, but this is so important. If you, if you hear me, listen to me, stay with me. The spirit of the Antichrist is at work all the time in our world, especially if it is a message that diminishes the person of Jesus Christ and who he is. If it diminishes who he is and who he was and who he's made you as someone in Christ, it is at work and it also it, it diminishes his work in the world, his salvation for all people, and the spirit of the Antichrist will diminish his work in your heart and your life. People will say to you, oh, you don't, that, that, that Christianity, that's just to make people feel good. That Christianity, that's so people will, will, will have something to live for. No. Jesus is real. His work is real. And anytime that message comes to you, it's to diminish his work. And this is happening today. There's a guy named Bart Ehrman. Anybody ever heard of him? Bart Ehrman's a professor He's written tons of books. His books were really popular um, about the time that the Da Vinci Code was really popular. And Bart Ehrman writes a lot of these books that talks about these other books of the Bible. Anybody ever heard of these things before? And, and Bart was a professor at UNC Charlotte. Or, I'm, I'm sorry, UNC main campus. And every freshman in school there was required to take introduction to religion. 
And you know what Bart Ehrman said? His goal was to make sure that every believer that entered their freshman year as a Christian after taking his class would become an atheist. And Bart Ehrman was just like these guys. Bart Ehrman was a member of the church. At one point, he was a Christian. He went to Harvard for seminary, and he swaying people away. Even more recently, in the post-9-11 world, church, we need to know about this, there was a movement called the New Atheist Movement. And this movement from 2004 to 2015 said that, that uh, not only is Christianity bad in light of the terrorist attacks in 9-11, not only is Christianity bad, but all religion's bad. All religion is evil. In fact, all of the wars, all of the problems we experience in the world are because people worship God. So Christianity's bad, and, and uh, Judaism is bad, and, and Muslims are bad, and it's all got to be dealt with. There was books written by Sam Harris called The End of Faith, Religion, Terror, and the Future of Reason, and a book, another book called the Re- A Letter to a Christian Nation. There was a documentary called The Root of All Evil by Richard Dawkins, and later he wrote a book called The God Delusion. And what you need to know is that each of these books I just mentioned, whether you've never heard of them before, they all spent a full year on the national bestseller list, and millions of people have read them. Books that are diminishing the work of Christ in the world and in the people who believe in him. And this is at work now. The spirit of the Antichrist is still at work. These are the messages that our kids are going to run up against as they go into the world. They're the messages that people believe as you are receiving messages each and every day. And John is warning that there have been, there have been from this time and there always will be people who will come, who will oppose Christ, oppose the gospel, oppose the teaching. And they will be sending messages, whether it's overtly or inadvertently, through the sways that we receive messages that say that what Christ did isn't real. And that who he is isn't real. And they can only only inform us, but they can form us. And John is saying to the church in this time, and I'm saying to you today, that we need to be cognizant of that reality. It's a spiritual battle that's at work in our world. But John isn't finished. He says we have weapons against this type of thinking. We do. The weapons of the word and the weapons of the spirit. And this is why he goes on. He says, let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. He's talking about the teachings of Jesus, the teachings that were given by the apostles, the teachings that these people accepted as they were coming into the faith. He said, let them abide in you. Let them live in you. Let them be part of who you are. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you will too abide in the Father and the Son. You've maybe heard me say before, the more you get into the Word, the more the Word gets into you. And this is a weapon against these messages from the world. And he says, you have to get into those teachings. This is the promise that's made to us, eternal life, that the reason for Christ's coming is very clear. This book from from Genesis to the maps is about God's rescue plan for the world. Eternal life that doesn't start when you die. It starts the day you say, yes, I believe in Jesus. That if you believe in him and you're sitting here this morning, you already have eternal life. And that God has promised that. And the word from the world is going to be trying to trick you that life is found in something else. And John says, you have the word. It's a weapon. That's not all, though. I write these things 
about those who are trying to deceive you, but the anointing that you receive abides in you, the Holy Spirit. You're going to hear me talk about this a lot because I don't think we really grasp it. Do you get God, the Holy Spirit, the moment you said yes, the moment you surrendered your life, now lives in you? If you let that sink, let, let that sink in. And boom, what? We just talk about it. It becomes church language. That's what we believe. It's what John believed. As real as these messages are, this is what John is saying. He's saying not only do you have the word, not only do you have the teachings, but you know what lives in you, that remains in you, that holds a place in your heart? The anointing of the Holy Spirit, and it abides in you. And you should know, and you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But his anointing teaches you about everything, and it is true, and is no lie, just as it has taught you. Abide in him. Now this passage, the second part of the passage, uh, sometimes, um, sometimes people wonder, like, so if I have the Holy Spirit, what are you doing up there, Dan? <laughs> you know what I mean? Because that's, that's, that's how you could read it. It seems to imply that on face value. But that's not what it means. The Bible con- consistently teaches about the gifts of teaching being given to the church, about the importance of teaching being given to the church. But here's the thing, John isn't ruling out a human teacher. I mean, the fact that he wrote this letter to the church kind of lets us know that he thought teaching was important, right? But what he is saying is that there's a teaching ministry of the Holy Spirit, something we call illumination, okay, illumination, and that the Holy Spirit, when you open up this book, it wants to be engaged in your heart and your life and teach you something. It wants to illuminate his word to you. Now, I'm not talking about a new revelation, a new revelation that no one's ever heard from in the church and no one's ever seen before in the church. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the Holy Spirit at work in your heart, and it is actually allowing you to appropriate God's word, allowing you to read it and process it, internalize it, and be able to live it out in your life so that the truth of the message in here not only informs you, but forms you. And John's saying, these messages are real. These messages are coming. And there are more ways for you and I to receive messages today than ever before, right? But John's saying, you're not powerless against it. You have his word. You have his spirit. Look what Jesus said about his Holy Spirit when he told the apostles that he was coming. He says, but the helper, the Holy Spirit who the Father will send in my name, he will teach you, what? All things. And bring to your remembrance all that I have said. These are the weapons we have against this, that you can literally sit before God in the Word and, and his, his Spirit can illuminate what that means in your life. And then when you go into the world, it can really remind you of what it is that God wants to do. It can tell you who you are in Him and how you are to live out your life in this place. John says you're not powerless, and this is the unexplainable warning that he has. This is what he says. He says, abide in those things. Because false messages will come. That's the warning. That false messages will come. And some are going to be active. Some of them will people literally denying Christ. They'll literally be anti-Christ. But some won't be. Some are going to be passive. Some are going to be the messages you receive in your heart. And whether you know it or not, they're forming you slowly. 
to move away from making him the center of your life, from convincing you that he is not where life is found. And so we have a choice to make. As Christians, how do we apply this? Yes, I think first is, yeah, false messages will come. And so this is what I could do. I could spend the rest of my time this morning with you talking about all the antichrists, the spirits of them. I could point out to all of you, and we could just say, okay, you know, each and every week we're going to have a special announcement time where I tell you all of the places that you need to avoid and all the people that you need not to listen to, right? We could do that. be a little exhausting. I don't know if I have enough time every week to do that. But we could do that. Or we could do something else. We could, we could uh, spend some time creating. Um, we could spend some time creating distance, right? And the church is really good at this. And and my parents, you know, my parents when they told when they took away my cassette tapes, that's what they were doing. They were creating distance between me and those messages. And believe me, this is so so much what I want to do with my kids. I want to shelter them. I don't want them to hear these messages, and I don't want them to hear the things that are going to form them in their tender age away from who Christ is and the messages that are anti-Christ. And I'm not saying that's bad. If you're a new believer here, and you've been involved with things that were anti-Christ prior to becoming a Christian, it's probably a good idea that you stay away from them. If you were an alcoholic prior to becoming saved and God has redeemed you from that, it's probably a good idea that you don't go to the bar. There's wisdom in that, am I right? I mean, for some of us, you know, parents, I'm never going to use this platform to say it, but say, say which is right, because I believe it's a, it's a God between you and your spouse thing. Some of us have decided to, to keep our kids in homeschool. Some of us decided to keep our kids in private school. Some of us have decided public school. But no matter where our kids are at, all of us are wanting to make sure that we control the messages they receive. We want to create a distance for them. If you're a new believer, there is wisdom. Hear me, there is wisdom in creating a distance between you and the things that are anti-Christ. If you are a believer and you're, you've been at this a while, there is, a, there is wisdom to be careful about what books you read, what, what movies you watch, what websites you search, what radio programs you listen to. There's wisdom in all of that. Okay, but here's my problem, and love me when I say this. I grew up in a church where those were the only two options, and there's no spirit involved in either of them. I grew up in a church where if we can just, if we can just create a legalistic structure where we say all the things you're supposed to avoid, and if we can create distance between you and all of those things, and we can create a legalistic structure where we're constantly pointing at a finger at what is antichrist, that everyone will be fine. And you know what? If that was the answer, if that was the answer, then I think John's letter would have said, now that the Antichrists have gone out from you, bolt the door shut, everything's good. And let's move on to the next chapter. That's what he would have said. Okay? And don't hear me. Don't walk out of here and say, well, Pastor Dan doesn't think we should do the wisdom of avoiding certain things. And I'm not saying any of that. I'm just saying if those are the only two choices we have, We're missing what John's trying to teach us. What John's trying to teach us is that we need to create in our lives a cultivation of dynamic devotion. And what do I mean by that? We need to cultivate a dynamic devotion to the word and abiding in him. Parents, not only do we create distance with our kids, but we have to teach our kids to abide in the word. We have to teach them what does it look like to get into this each and every day. And it's not enough just to get into the Word. I grew up all the time reading, hearing, read your Bible and pray. 
And if you're not a believer, maybe you've heard that before. What does it mean to be a Christian? Oh, you read your Bible and pray. So it was stay away from all of this stuff and read your Bible and pray, and somehow magically you were going to look like Jesus. And it didn't make sense to me. And what John's saying is no. You read your Bible, you get into, your word, into the Word, and, and as you're a child, you're learning the stories, you're learning who Jesus is, and then as you accept him into your life and his Spirit comes and lives in you, that the Holy Spirit itself can engage in this process and illuminate his Word to you, and you truly can be changed. And parents, if your only way of doing this is by creating distance in your kid's life from the messages, they're not going to be prepared when they leave your home to face the world where the messages are coming like no one knows. And who knows what it's going to happen after this time? It's just going to get worse. We have to teach our kids how to abide in Christ so that the litmus test of Jesus himself is the way that they process the word. And if it's good enough for the kids, it's good enough for us. Church, if we would get this, we would never have to beg for kids to help in children's ministry. We would never have to beg for kids to help in youth ministry. Because in the most formative time of our kids' lives, when I preached recently about kids walking away from the faith, we need to show them that it's not about legalism, that this is alive and he is alive. And his word can work in your heart and life. And we have to create disciples of Jesus that can leave this church on fire and enter the places that are dark in this world and not create distance but step into it so that they can be a light for Jesus and the only way they're going to be able to do that is to grab a hold of these two weapons this word and the spirit in every way in every minute of the day and I believe it can change us I believe it can change you and me and if it's good enough for the kids it's good enough for you grown-ups your kids should never have to be told to sit down because you know what they should be able to see you love me when I say this they should be able to see you each and every day through this process too your kids don't adopt your 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 fanhood they adopt your passions i've never heard a father that had to tell their kid what fan of a football team they needed to be because the kids just adopted what their dad did if the parents if if your kids know that this is your primary source that the word and the spirit is how you process the messages of the word guess where they're going to be too We need to be a church that gets this as we form our kids. We need to be a church that knows as adults how to do this. What John's saying is the messages are going to come. But to cultivate a dynamic devotion means that we welcome him in our daily life. That each and every day we read scripture and we ask him, the spirit that's in us, to say, will you give me insight and understanding, Lord, as I get into your word so I understand what you're saying. We ask him to help us discern between the true and the false teachings. We ask the Holy Spirit to enable us to know God more. We ask him to teach us to pray better, to worship God in spirit and in truth. We ask the Lord to grow in us a love for him more deeply. We ask him to reveal Jesus to us, to reveal all truth to us. A dynamic devotion is not just sitting there and saying, okay, I'm going to go through this rote practice. No, it's engaging his word and his spirit, knowing that we live in a world in this last hour where the antichrist and those things that are antichrist are always going to be at work to inform us and to form us. And our only weapon against it is his word and his spirit in us. And here's the thing. If we don't do this, we're going to not become, we're, we're never going to become the unexplainables. We're not. Because a church that's afraid to engage the dark places of the world, a church that's afraid that as we go into the places where Jesus is least seen, 
because they may change us. You know, you go into the world, the world's going to affect you. A church that's afraid to do that is a church that doesn't have a practice of dynamic devotion to the Lord through his spirit. Because I will tell you right now, those who make, those who make traction for the kingdom of God in their towns and in their cities and in the places that they go, the people that see that not only are we to be the children of God, the followers of God, but also on mission for God, are those who know that the messages are going to be there no matter what, but we are prepared through the word and the spirit to walk into the darkest places, and we're not afraid of those things that are anti-Christ to change us. We are entering as change agents. And if we are going to be the unexplainables, we've got to get this right. If we're going to be the unexplainables, we need to learn how to do this in our discipleship with our kids, with our youth, in our own lives. We need to be able to take people that are brand new to the faith, people that come through ministries like Five Stones and teach them that the Word and the Spirit is the only way. Because if you were a drunk before you became a Christian, God may call you eventually to go into the bars to reach people to Christ. And you know how you'll be prepared for that? Cultivating a dynamic devotion in your life. God may call you to the very place you were set free from. And it will have, those messages could have the effect of changing you if you aren't changed. The weapons of the word and the spirit are not just to inform you. God gave them to us because they're meant to form us. The antichrists are real. They're here. And we could just perform a, as a church over these next years of making sure we point out those things we need to stay away from. And we could just, I could use this platform as a time to just preach legalism into the church. I've seen it done. It's not what God called us to do. God didn't say we bar bar the doors and we keep that all out. No, God said we get formed by dynamic devotion and then we go out to them. And that's what God wants to do. In your heart and mind, so we can become the unexplainables. Would you pray with me? Father, I'm so thankful for your word. And your spirit. How you've changed my heart and my life. Lord, for the people here who it's their first time and they don't even know what this is all about. Lord, I just hope that you, you reveal yourself to them right now and they just know that You are real. Your son came. He lived a perfect life. He died a death for sinners, for the whole world. And those of us that have come to surrender our hearts and lives to him, that you live in us. And you're calling us to be part of that plan. And you want us to know you more. And you want to change us from the inside out. So Lord, give us wisdom. Give us wisdom on what, what, what things of this world that are anti-Christ we need to avoid. But Lord, at the same time, stir up in this place a movement of your Holy Spirit and reawaken the spiritual lives of the people in this room. That we may all cultivate in our lives a deeper, a dynamic devotion to you where we abide, where we remain, where we, where we commune with you regularly and we allow your spirit to illuminate all the places in our lives that need to grow, all the places in our lives that need to die because they're not of you. When your spirit shows us, teaches us all truth so that we can stand in the places where truth does not exist and be the very representation of Jesus, Lord. 
I pray for that to happen, Lord. We need a revival in this world. Allow it to begin with us here at Grace Church. And use us in this town and the surrounding area to impact this world for Jesus Christ. We love you, Lord. Thank you for loving us first. It's in Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen. God bless you. Don't forget, Dick will be here next week. He's ready. I had so much fun talking to him about this next series. I'm excited for you. I will miss you. Pray for us uh, that we get a little bit of reset time after this transition. And now I'm going to come back even more excited. You're not even going to know what to do about that. <laughs> like, this is what this guy looks like without a